Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. I'm walking out with my dog in the morning in the hills. And I'm thinking about a conversation I had yesterday with a friend of mine who lives in South Florida. And she used to live in Israel. She's American. We met here, being friends here. And um, she helped me when I was in South Florida a couple months ago. And I was expressing to her my disappointment in my trip and how badly it went. And she said, you came with the wrong attitude. And then she said, you have to understand, people here in our generation don't care about Israel. Our parents' generation did, but our generation doesn't. What we want to do is go out and have a good time. So if you come and do something like that, it doesn't matter if it's for Israel or for anything else. No one's going to care. They just want to go out and have a good time. They don't even like Israelis. They think they're loud. They think they're pushy. And um, the only thing they associate with Israel is sending their kids there maybe for their gap year or going on vacation. But they have no desire to move to Israel. I've heard these before. Not so painful to hear again. Oh my God, there's a donkey right in front of us. I can't see him. Um, I was whispering just now because I was not aware that a donkey was sitting right in front of us. It looked like a pile of white rocks, but it was a donkey quietly sitting like a big swan. And um, I I didn't uh, even notice. That's why I had to all of a sudden whisper and me and my dog had to go a different direction. I was going to say, I remember when I was living in... Philadelphia when I was newly married and I was working downtown and there was a clothing store owned or run by Israelis and it was like a you know um, cheap kind of store not high-end or anything but on a busy street and a lot of city people went in okay so there were a lot of all kinds of people but it wasn't high-end so you get the poorer people, all right? So you're getting city people, you're getting black people. A lot of blacks went in there. It was a black area. And um, I guess there were like some criminals going in there. I don't know. But I do remember seeing the uh, workers, these tall Israeli women, kicking out these, these black shoppers. Like, sweet, like, almost like the sweeping gesture with their arms. Like, get out, get out, get out of here, get out. And um, I think in, in English you know, accent in English, and I was so impressed. I was like, wow, look at the way they're handling them. And it was this um, amazing show of strength in my eyes. And I liked it. I was like, wow, they're standing up to these, 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 uh, whatever they are, criminals or people, shoppers who are behaving badly. And um, I liked it because they were like, in the Hebrew, they would be saying, oof, oof, mapal, which my kids learned to say. Which means get like basically fly out of here, lechmapo, which means get out of here, azovuti, get away from me. These are very like strong expressions that children even say here, and I hear my children saying it to each other, and I've learned these expressions. And again, I, I know I spoke about this recently about how Israelis are aggressive, but see, I think that is a positive because the world has been trampling on us for so long, and I think. 
Jews have just learned this behavior of being polite and accepting and trying to blend in and not making a commotion and not offending anyone. But Israelis aren't afraid to offend anybody. I wish they were less afraid. I, I wish they would be, you know, a little stronger here. We wouldn't have these problems with the Arabs. But when uh, people say, you know, Israelis are obnoxious and pushy, I, I see that as, as, I don't think, I don't think that's all bad. Um, I, I don't think it's all bad. I don't think we need to worry so much about people loving us. They're not going to love us if we're polite, so who cares if we're pushy? Joining us today is a woman I recently met who made Aliyah um, twice. She's going to tell us all about her. Her name is Edith Barr. She um, lives today in Ramat Beit Shemesh with her husband. And she actually made Aliyah years ago in the 80s. Different kind of Aliyah than it is today. And she lived in Beersheba. And um, she'll tell us all about it. And it's very interesting when she told me she made it twice. I really didn't understand. But I brought her on the show because um, she has some very, very good insight as to when and why um, Aliyah can work. And attitude is really a big part of it. And your social life is a big part of it. And I'm, I'm going to have her tell us all about that. So Edie, is that right? Gan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Thanks for coming. Okay. So like I just told our listeners, you came twice, once in the 80s and then more recently. Why don't you tell me about that? The, the same way you told me the first time. I won't even have to say a word. You had a very, very great uh, story. Well, it's it's kind of a long story. Um, my husband and I were both brought up Zionistic. Um, I worked for, I did a lot of volunteer work for Hadassah for many years and uh, so I was very active in doing things for the state of Israel, lobbying in America for the state of Israel, Israel um, uh, helping out on all the projects that Hadassah did and so on. My husband, on the other hand, felt a lack because he had to work. He said that, you know, if we lived in Israel, he could be working and contributing to the state all at once. So wouldn't it be better if we made Aliyah? And uh, it's always a big challenge. I, I sort of fought it for a year because there's a lot you have to do. Uh, you know, sell your house. Uh, I, we had young children. There was a, a lot of different things that you have to do to make Aliyah. So my husband started a Chug Aliyah. And uh, he advertised in the Jewish paper. And a number of people joined us. And once a month, the um, Israeli consulate sent a speaker to us. This was before Nefesh Nefesh. You know, the speaker came and uh, talked to us about various issues, employment, where to live, how, how housing works, you know, general kinds of things like that. And uh, we thought we were really prepared. When we, um, the Jewish agency uh, uh, arranged for us to have the free flight, and they told us that the Ulpan would begin on 6-3-84. So um, we sold our house. We moved out. Uh, I think we had to move out the middle of May. So the last two weeks before we flew, we stayed with my husband's parents. It was kind of interesting because I had to pack for two weeks. I had to pack for three months for the um, uh, Miss uh, Radaklita, the um, absorption uh, center. The absorption center, yes. Why don't you explain what? a little bit? Because we're, you're throwing terms out that people today probably don't even hear. First of all, Chug Aliyah. 
A chug is a club. It's okay. a club of people who might want to make Aliyah. Well, a chug is a club, right? I mean, our kids are in chugim. The ballet class is a chug. So you actually created like an Aliyah club, an Aliyah group. Very right. smart in your area. Been. Where was the area where you were living in America at that time? East Brunswick, New Jersey. Okay. Um, Which is like central New Jersey. All right. And what, how old were you back then? This is, we're talking 1979, right? Yeah, we were, we were in our 30s. I think we were 35. Okay. And you had children. What were the ages of the children? One and a half, um, five, and seven. Okay, little kids. Right. Little um, kids. And were you religious? Uh, it's interesting when you say religious. Um, we were religious conservatives. Mm -hmm. We weren't orthodox. But in those days, there were conservatives who observed Shabbat. Um, yeah. But I did wear pants. And um, and I didn't wear have a shazel. Um, so is a there was a different kind of category. <laughs> I don't know where right. we fit. That was right. part of our problem. Because uh -huh. no one told us about the stratification in religion in Israel. <laughs> um, we'll get so, there. Don't don't say that was a problem because we didn't get there yet. Okay. When they told you that the Ulpan would start 6-3, did you know that was the 6th of March? No, that's just it. Uh-huh. We thought it was June 3rd. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they when, when you, what did you, get some kind of letter in the mail? I suppose so. I don't remember now. I think the Aliyah, um, the Israeli Aliyah Shaliyah um, told us. But right. it was interesting because we were his first people to make Aliyah. <laughs> so he really was very inexperienced. Mm -hmm. And in those days also, you didn't have to do fingerprints. I think they made us take EKGs. We had to have like a physical. Um, and both of us had jobs already. That was another thing that was very unusual. Because my husband, I had been to a Hadassah convention in 1982 in, in Jerusalem. And my husband came along to interview. <laughs> he didn't come to the convention. He went from different all the different companies, he can, he contacted them. Um, he was a chemist, a PhD and an MBA. And um, he interviewed with a number of companies that might be interested in his background. I was in computers. So both of us had good fields for Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, we were very sought after actually for, you know, what we could contribute, coming with young children, having, you know, good fields of uh, where there was work in Israel. And we, we were offered jobs in different places, and my husband decided to work for Tichavot Brome, which means they it's a was a hard they, they mined bromide compounds from the Dead Sea, mm -hmm. and they were headquartered in Beersheba. Okay. And since he was going there, I got a job at the university, and those days the university Ben Gurion University of the Negev, and those days it was very small. There were three buildings. There were there wasn't that much there. Now, it's uh, yeah, now it's big. How did you, um, your husband went to the Hadass convention. He found a job that way. How did you find your job before coming over? Actually, it's very interesting. We, we don't have any family in Israel. Our families have been in America for many generations and, and we didn't know anyone in Israel, but my husband, when he was a graduate student at Brandeis had met two gentlemen who were also studying chemistry with him. One was Israeli and one was uh, an American who also was in chemistry, and they were living in Omer, which hmm. is a little town outside of Beersheba. A Beersheba, yeah, <laughs> outside of Beersheba. Um, anyway, so we knew someone there already, 
they were very excited that we wanted to come. And um, the Israeli friend uh, worked at the university. So he helped me get the job. How yeah. did you communicate back then? I don't think there was an internet. There was no internet. No, there was, there was no internet. internet. Of course not. Did you write letters yeah. and talk on the phone long distance? I don't think we spoke on the phone. I don't. I think we came actually. Brom uh, to vote. Brom um, paid for a house hunting trip, right. and um, we came. And when we came, we our friends in Omer helped us find a house and also connect with the university. So I think that's when I interviewed with the university. Very nice. So that was really great. That was amazing. Okay. All right. So you came with the children. I guess right. no lift, nothing like that. You just came with suitcases. No, no. The company paid for the move. Great. So we took everything with us. We bought all the appliances on the Lower East Side to buy the, mm -hmm. you know, in Lower East Side of Manhattan to buy 220 appliances. And uh, we took all our furniture. We took our clothes, our, the toys, everything. Great. You know, I think we had an 18 wheeler. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, Fast forward. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so we uh, we get to the airport and we're expecting an Aliyah flight that there'd be other people also. You know, this was arranged this particular flight for us, and um, we get we get there and there's nobody, just us. Nobody else is making Aliyah. It's a regular flight, um, and in fact, Shimon Perez was there. He was on the flight, and we were hmm. very excited. We went over to him. We told him we're making Aliyah, and he said so. That should have warned us. That's wow. What is like. That's what he said. Yeah. So what? Big yeah. deal. Huh. Wow. Anyway, wow. so we get there to the airport and we don't know what's going to happen now. What do we do? And they pointed us up a flight of stairs. This was at the old terminal. It's not the the one they have today, and I think it's called Terminal One. Um, and we went up these flight of stairs to this very large room. I think we arrived somewhere like around um, 1 a.m., 1.30, something like that, with three small children. And we came into this big room, and there was a sign saying, welcome home, and we were the only ones in the room. And there was, a you know, a woman there at the desk um, to process us. And um, we didn't leave until 9 a.m. <sighs> it took eight hours with three little children. And only and you. Only us. Everything was done with carbon paper and three copies, or ten copies. When you say everything copies. was done for our listeners, I know you were getting your tzedakah, but I just want our listeners to know they're getting their identity cards today. Right. If you take a nefesh benefesh flight, they actually do that on the flight. They they go down the aisle and they sit there. They do it, which is pretty amazing. When I you know that, that's that's been upgraded a lot. What you experienced back then, even doing it at the airport, is pretty remarkable. Um, but the fact that it took so long is so, um, <laughs> and it's such a great way of explaining how slowly things do move in, in some cases. Days, yeah. There was only fax machines for communication, I think. Oh, for, God. With, and, you know, of course, telephone calls. So but, you have three little kids and you're sitting for eight hours and I guess they're taking naps or they're going crazy. I mean, I guess, right? I think they gave us bags of candy for them and they were so hyper oh. it was crazy and then they also fought us over names i wanted my name is edith and i there's a name uh an israeli name edith with an iron iron yud dollar yud top and it means something it means the best part of something elite 
Um, and they just wanted it to be edit using an aleph. And I said, I don't want to transliterate my name. I want to be called Edith. Um, and they said, no, I can't do it. And my husband is Morton Lawrence. His name is his name is Moshe in Hebrew, but they don't want didn't want that. They wanted his name from English. And so uh -huh. everything was Morton Lawrence. Uh -huh. R. Okay. Name. Mm -hmm. And my kids also, I had a daughter, her name was Devita in Hebrew, and Devra in English, D-E-V-R-A. And I wanted her to be Devita, and they wouldn't let me. They said, that's not a name. Devita's not a name. Can't be Devita. Must be Devra. My other daughters were Rivka and Shira, so that was easy, because those were all right. Those were names. That's ridiculous. All right. That's annoying that they were so difficult. Um, I want you to know that when we, they came to school, my daughter, Devra, had an Aharona and a Yosefa in her class. And those were okay, right. but Devra was not. Right. Well, they had a bias. Um, yes. Clearly, some places still do have a bias, and they're difficult. Okay. You know, there are people here in all, all parts of the world, not just Israel. There are people, they call them Roshkatan, right? They have a small head. They do their job exactly as they're supposed to in the box, and they don't know how to be creative or flexible. Well, so just that you know, the also the Ethiopians, their names were taken away oh. because they they were too difficult to pronounce, and sometimes they really weren't at all. Um, but they gave them you know modern Israeli names, and they didn't understand that in the Ethiopian culture, your name is like a bracha. Uh, it's a special thing that your parents give you um, that has a lot of meaning and it really hurt them. Sure. Very insensitive, very insensitive of uh, the bureaucratic. Um... It wasn't just for us. That was their, you know, their attitude about yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I was worried about our, 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 our suitcases and because on the plane, we could each take three suitcases so because we needed to take a lot of things to live on at the Merkaz Klitat, the absorption center before, in those days you went to an absorption center, you didn't go into a private apartment or anything. The government had centers where you would have an apartment uh, where they gave you furniture and bedding and pots. And so that if someone came with just the shirt on their back, they'd have a place to live and things to live with. Right. So that was for a certain amount of time. Right. You could have to stay up to six months. Mm -hmm. And is the old, the old pond was nearby and all the people in that same apartment building were also um, Olim, also immigrants. Right. Exactly. It was like an apartment complex. And one of the buildings was the old pond section right. and they had a daycare center too. Nice. For the children, which was very nice. Yeah. So um, Edie told us, told me, um, a lot of stress getting from the airport and the boxes and the luggage and her ride coming and going and they had to get a taxi and getting to the um, apartment and the apartment was locked and the office was closed. Nobody was working because they arrived during a strike. But a friend of hers got the key and opened the apartment. And um, I just shortened that quickly and we'll go on. They weren't even expecting us because we were supposed to come in March. Oh, the date. Oh, that's a very good point that you gave us at the very beginning. I'll tell all our listeners that in Israel, 
that way you make the write the date is not the same way you write the date in America. Here, it's the day first. So if you're, if you're you know, tw my birthday is December 28th, 1970. It's written here, 28, 12, 1970. And that date that Edith and her husband received was not um, March 6, 3, 6, and the year it was actually the third. No, 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 sorry. It was six, three. It was the 6th of March, right? Is that right? Right. That's when the OPAN began. The classes began the 6th of March. So when did you arrive? What was the date you arrived? June. Ah, so you came I in June. Know. Now, this is so also so different from today, and it should give everyone an appreciation. You didn't have phones. You didn't have computers. You didn't have email back then. So the only way you no. communicated was that letter from the embassy and that one meeting. And you just had that letter. And you just relied on it and you relied on your understanding of it. And your understanding of it was June. Right. No one said anything. They arranged the flight for us, you know. Well, why? They, they don't need to say anything. They wrote it. And the way they understood it was the way they understood it. Right. And no, they, they they arranged a flight for us for the end of May. Right. Interesting. So maybe the left hand wasn't speaking to the right hand. That's what was going on. Could be. Could be. Yeah, they know. didn't. They don't care. They don't care if you want to go. You know, the people who arrange the flight don't necessarily know that your uh, that your Ulpan is going to start on March 6th. No, I suppose not. Whatever. Right. Anyway, oh. I don't, I, you know, you don't want to belabor the point. But luckily, this friend and also the apartment was four flights up. We had a, no elevator. Mm -hmm. so that was also part of the joy of living there was schlepping <laughs> wet laundry from the basement where the wash machine was to bring it up to the fourth floor and hang it out on a line. And if it fell, it fell to the dirt four floors down. Oh. No dryers, because Besheva doesn't need dry dryers. <laughs> um, okay, so you, you did get in and you had a difficult, let's just say that is a, a very difficult landing, but you did it, okay, you did right. it. Right, the first night, um, one of my daughters had a nosebleed and I got up in the middle of the night to take care of her and the floor was covered with cockroaches. Mm. So I had to chase them away to walk through the apartment. Oh, okay. But I found out later, of course, they don't ever tell you anything um, that you that they come from the drains and you have to put plugs in the drains. If you don't, then they come in. Mm -hmm. But of course, they wouldn't tell you that. Why would right. they tell you something that would help like that? <laughs> right. right. It's like welcome, real big welcome to Israel. Yeah. Did you have a phone in your apartment? No. Uh -huh. No phone. Well, those days it took 10 years to get a phone. Right. Right. So you had neighbors. Well, there were a lot. Everybody was Olim. Uh, right. um, they were from Romania. They were from Iran. There were people who had walked from Iran to Israel to get away from Khomeini. Mm -hmm. um, there was uh, South Americans, a lot of South Americans. There were no Americans there mm -hmm. because Beersheba wasn't the place where they sent Americans, but we had jobs there. Mm -hmm. So that's why we went. And they didn't really let us go to Upan for very long because they wanted us to start working. So we came in the beginning of June and by the beginning of August, we had to start working. So we only really got two months of Upan. And since we came in the middle, we didn't fit into any class. We weren't mm -hmm. in beginners, we weren't in advance. We, we really didn't have the language. <laughs> mm -hmm. And during that time in the summer, what are the kids? What, what did you do with your small children? Well, they, that's the wonderful thing. The the Old Pond had a, a nursery school. 
Good. They had day they had a day camp and they had a um a nursery school for the baby. Mm-hmm. So they were in we only went to Opan in the morning, like I don't know, 8 30 to 1. And they had while we were in Opan, they had their camp. Right. Good. I love that. Yeah. I really and I loved learn meeting all the people from the different countries. And the only language we could communicate in was Hebrew. Right. Because we each other's languages that's right it forces you forces you to learn yeah Yeah. i I really enjoyed that and everyone our friend from omer omer was a very beautiful area with all private homes and uh which was not the norm in those days to have a private home um they uh they said why do you want you have a house already we had started renting the house from july they said why do you want to stay at the the absorption center when you could have a beautiful home i said but i love it there so I really enjoyed my stay. I would have liked to have stayed longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you did your uh, two months really of absorption. That's very, very short. Um, and then you went to work and uh, your kids, I guess, went into a regular gun and a regular own or whatever. They were very tough there. The daycare center were run by Yemenite Jews um, for the most part. And um they didn't believe if a child cried, you left them alone. They get over it themselves. Don't pick mm. them up. Mm. Never show them compassion or comfort. They have to comfort themselves. And they were they thought I was really spoiling my daughter if she cried and I would pick her up. Um, right. They also didn't have any kind of sanitary knowledge. Everybody was sick, like things like, um, you know, hepatitis, um, mm. dysentery, um, because they didn't wash their hands when they changed diapers and they, well, it was, it was kind of like really third world. Yeah. So what did you do? I mean, you're, you're, um, you dove into this life and you see these things. What did you do? Well, you know, you have to sort of get used to it. This is, you have to learn that that's the culture and that you have to handle it. But Mm -hmm. I felt terrible. I, one time, I think I told you this, that they, they hardly had any toys to play with. So I had so many toys. So I thought I, you know, could I give some toys to the my own? They said, no, only the strongest children get the toys. Wow. <laughs> For all of you listening, my own is a, is a nursery. That's what my own yeah. is. Yeah. For little kids under the age of three, three. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's uh that's pretty severe and that's pretty old fashioned. And, um, you know, we, we, we made out, yeah, we lived on a kibbutz and the toys, what we saw were old kitchen items and everything was used. So what mm-hmm. we saw was like garbage and their outside area was on dirt and it was all garbage, like an old kumkum, a hot kettle. Okay. And, and a fake, um, or old, uh, mach- machinery. You know, and we thought it was just disgusting, like a junkyard, but but they, they that's what they call toys. And so, they were dangerous too because they had sharp edges. And sure, metal. it was dangerous. Totally dangerous. My middle daughter, who was five, when we were at the um, the absorption center, she had fallen down a flight of stairs and they didn't tell me. And after the daycare center, you know, after one o'clock, they told me maybe you should take her for stitches. When you came to pick her up. Yes. And when I brought her to the hospital, they said, it's too late. It's closed up already. We can't do the stitches. So she had a scar under her chin forever. Oh. But it wasn't on her face, thank God. Or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So you were unusual, I've got to say, um, Edie, to, to continue going to work and leaving your children in this in, in the, the situations that you are describing. You sound so calm. Um, I, I can't imagine mothers today allowing this to continue. I, I just can't. The mothers well, who come today, it's different, different kind of mothers, right? Different kind of Israel. Well, you know, it, it was it was hard. I mean, we had we had expected to be chalutzim, to be pioneers, and that things would be harder. But I didn't expect the cultural differences, which mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. Right. They don't think that this is being bad to children. They think this is how you raise children. Right. My younger right. daughter, the one and a half year old, became very tough. She would never cry in front of you. She mm-hmm. would always go in another room and cry. She would never let anyone see her cry. Mm-hmm. And uh, my middle daughter, I think I told you this, that she was they she was in kindergarten. They said she was retarded because she didn't know her colors yet. And I said, well, she knows them in English. She doesn't know them in Hebrew. And they said, well, we told them what her what they are. You tell somebody once, say goal, and they're <laughs> supposed to know. I forgot for the rest. Purple. I mean, you know, the things like that, that they were just not tolerant. Mm-hmm. My daughter, who was in, she had been in first grade in America. She was in second grade in Israel. Um, and uh, she didn't, she knew Hebrew already. She had been taught in Hebrew for half a day, but of course not at the level of the, of the class. And she would ask questions. And so they sat her in the corner by herself because she was talking to people. No help. Right. She just had to sit in the corner till she figured it out. Right. How long did this go on? How long did you make it with this uh, going on? How long did you stay? For two years. Two years you did that? So the first year I was in pain. The second year I was numb. <laughs> One day I remember going in the bathroom, closing the door, sitting on the floor and crying. Oh. I remember doing that once because I think that was the day they stole all our clothes from the clothesline. Oh God, I'm sure you have so many stories that you can't even like remember some of them anymore. It's like a, another world, really another was, world. To me, the worst thing is that people know these things and they don't warn you. That I mean, I would, if a new person moved to the neighborhood and you weren't allowed to leave your clothes out overnight because the Bedouin stole them. Wouldn't you mention that to someone who's new? Right. Knowing we came from America. I mean, right. something. Right. This is the craziest story. There was a we, one morning I wake up and all my garbage is strewn over the kitchen, out of the garbage pail, all over the floor, on the counters, everything. So uh, what kind of robber comes in and just goes through your garbage? I had no idea what this could possibly be. I mentioned it to one of the neighbors. They said, oh, that's the cat. So I said, what do you mean the cat? They said that there's a cat in the neighborhood who steals whole chickens off the counter if you leave your chicken out the floor. So... I said, well, how do they get in? The screen is closed. The cat knows how to stick its claws in the screen and open it. You had to know that you put the tree seam down at night. Those Uh are the shutters. Right. But no one told you. So that the cats couldn't get in. Mm -hmm. And they said I was lucky because the cat only went after my garbage. But the crazy thing is this cat closed the screen on the way out. (laughs) Smart cat. Smart cat. So you you put up with this for two years. And, and what happened after those two years? Well, what happened was, you know, we, we didn't realize that we were, we were semi-dati, you know. Uh, we observed Shabbat, but we didn't fit in with the Orthodox 
because you I didn't wear, I wore pants and it didn't cover my head. And we didn't fit in with the Hiloni, the, the non-religious, because we didn't do things on Saturday. Most people worked, you know, Sunday through Friday. They only had Saturday off. So Saturdays were the day they go to the beach or they go to the movies or they go visiting. And we didn't fit in with that either. So we didn't fit in with the social milieu. Mm -hmm. Um, we lived in a beautiful neighborhood with private homes and a beautiful brand new school across the street. And if we wanted to send our daughters to the Dati school, the religious school, they'd go to the worst neighborhood in Beersheba. There were no books. Um, they didn't allow girls to study even the Torah, only Midrash. And I, I had three daughters and I did, I didn't want to put them in that. So I put them in the Hiloni school, the, the non-religious school. And there, my daughter was going into fourth grade. In fourth grade, they start boy-girl parties on Friday nights. And I didn't want to do that. And right. my daughter would be a social outcast. Oh, no. So we decided to come back. What we do you mean? To, get out to, leave, to leave that area or to leave altogether? Well, in those days, there really wasn't any place else to go. There was... There was one I we had heard that there was one uh, more Anglo neighborhood by Kfar Saba that we might have been able to adjust to might have been easier for us. But we were so emotionally shell shocked that to start off in a new place again, not even having any friends, at least in this other neighborhood, we had two friends that we decided it was. Of course, and there's problems at work, too. We're not going to go into that. Okay. But there was. It, it was a lot of adjusting and Beersheba was mostly North African, right. you know, population. And there was that kind of culture there. Right. So, you know, we didn't real. that was our big mistake. And that led us now to make Aliyah to Beit Shemesh where everybody speaks English and you can get, you have a soft landing, so to speak. Much different. <laughs> yeah. Totally different. And your experience is, one that I don't think anybody has today. I mean, those things don't exist anymore. There's no more Merkaz Klita. There might be for, um, you know, populations coming from like uh, Morocco or or maybe even the Ethiopians have that. But for the most part, um, people, right, they, they rent an apartment when they get here. They And that's the thing I think that people have to be prepared for, which we weren't. They didn't prepare us in this Chogalia at all, was that where you live, is the most important thing. And even though you want to be Israeli right away, you need to be in an environment that you can that can that can give you a soft landing until you can learn the culture and learn the ways and get set up and yeah. So uh, you really need to be in an environment where there are people around who uh, are like you and to welcome you and we really didn't have a social life because we didn't, as I said, we didn't fit in with either group. Yeah. You know, we didn't have family. Yeah, it's yeah. uh it's it's very, very important. Um, and you you laid it out very well. And I hope everyone listening really does appreciate that because everyone has their own reason for not coming in. A, a lot of them, a lot of the reasons today are, you know, maybe not having a job, but the communities are definitely here today. That can't be a reason anymore. Because that is completely different than it was in the 1980s. Completely different. And a lot of more Americans. And when I would complain to people, they'd say, when more Americans come, it'll be different. That's right. Okay, and we're back. We're going to continue. Um, part two, I guess, of this uh, 
story of your Aliyah. You went back. What did you do? You you uh, went back to the same place where you had left? No. Um, well, what happened was the reason we went back when we did was my husband was able to find a job from Israel, actually, which we were really worried that we wouldn't be able to go back, that he wouldn't be able to find a position because he was really working in marketing and not in product research, which he had been doing before. So he didn't know if he'd be able to find a job um, to come back to. Uh, and there were people who we met who said that they couldn't go back. They wanted to go back to America, but they couldn't because they had no job skills anymore. Yeah. They had been not doing anything in Israel, in Israel and now their, their experience was too old. Yeah. But luckily, my husband was sent for business purposes to America from his company and he was able to interview in America and got a very good job. So we left after the two years cause we had an opportunity to go back okay. um, and we went back to New Jersey actually, mm -hmm. but not to the same place. We went to Northern New Jersey instead of sub we had been in central Jersey before. Now, the one thing I have to say is that we, when we left Israel, we were very disappointed. We really did want to stay. Um, and we met an older couple who had come in their retirement years. I really don't know how old they were. To me, they were very old because <laughs> I was in my 30s, but they might've been in their 60s. And they just loved Israel. They didn't have to deal with work. They didn't have to deal with schools. They didn't have to deal with the economy. They had their, their retirement income and they were really living like tourists. Um, and they were very, very happy. So we said, you know what? We're not retiring to Miami, like all the... New York Jews, we're retiring to to Israel. So we decided we'd come back in our retirement years. Okay. And is that what you did? That's what we did. Okay. We actually made it. Um, you know, sometimes you have a dream and you think it's not going to happen. But um, in 2002, um, my middle daughter, her husband was, was uh, getting smicha in Israel. So they lived in Israel for three years. And during that time, we bought an apartment in Beit Shemesh for them to live in. And we also thought that we the lesson we had learned was to live in the right place. That location, location, location. Right. And Beit Shemesh was very Anglo-speaking. They were moving a lot of the um, teachers from the seminary and the yeshivas were buying houses. And it was near Jerusalem, was centrally located in the country. And um, we felt that this there was a lot of learning. We both like learning that this was the perfect place and we'd be able to make it if we lived here in right. Beijing. Right. Yeah. That was the problem. And, you know, no one prepared us for that. And that's what I would tell anyone who wants to make Aliyah. If you find the right environment, you'll be very happy here. We're very happy here. It's the best place in the world for a Jew to live. That's right. Um, it is so possible today because there are so many other places you can live. It's not like it was uh, way back. Coming from an English-speaking environment, there are places to live here today. And not just Beit Shemesh. There are other places too. Jerusalem, Efrat, Malayadumim. There are lots of choices today. Well, people tell me now, I don't know, I, I, I haven't ever lived in Jerusalem, but I have some friends who uh, bought apartments there and have been very unhappy because they don't find that they have a community. 
that the people, the English-speaking people uh, don't stay. They come for the Hagim, holidays, and they go back, or they keep going back and forth. That's not true here in Beit Shemesh. People live here. You're saying Jerusalem is like a tourist uh, city. Yeah. Well, there is that. Yeah, you're a little bubble there, um, Beit Shemesh and Ramat Beit Shemesh also. It's it's pretty pretty uh, insulated and pretty packed with all the culture you need. So I don't think you really need to leave. And um, it's true. And now we don't even have to go shopping because we used to have to go to uh, Jerusalem, let's say, for furniture or lighting or things like that. We have everything now. That's we right. We have so many stores. That's right. You don't need. You can find everything here. For better prices. <laughs> no, it's a city. It has become a city. Um, and it's, um, yeah, safe city, right? You got everything there. And uh, I've been told since we made Aliyah to live in Beit Shemesh, I remember the Nefesh Benefesh counselor who was assigned to us said, why are, aren't you living in Beit Shemesh? Uh, so it is been, it's become a destination for the past 20 years or more for Anglos. And it's good, you know, it's a soft landing. And we even had someone on the show recently <clears throat> who lived in remote, okay? And mm-hmm. uh, he said that was so Anglo that there are people who live there that the kids don't um, feel Israeli at all. And they actually have a problem. Um, they had to actually start a program to bring Israelis in. So that's how Anglo it, some of these places have become. Oh, um, yeah. That, you know, that happens, I think, in every country. There's always a Chinatown, right, in the cities. And right. that's, uh, you know, it's it, there's pros and cons to that. That's fine. We can, you can see both. But look, Israel's well, growing and there's a lot of old name, a lot of immigrants from all over the world. And, we find uh, that a lot of the children um, don't live in Beit Shemesh because they grew up here. Now they've become Israeli. Now they've learned to speak Hebrew. Maybe they've been in the army and they live in other places. Mm-hmm. They don't. Stay in. I'm not saying that nobody stays in Beit Shemesh. I mean, uh, I think Beit Shemesh is one of the youngest cities in the country. They have more children here in this city than well, in many, you know, than most of the other cities in, in the whole country. It's the fastest growing city, too. I mean, we have 145,000 people now, and they predict 250,000 in the next five years. Wow. Wow. Building. Israel's amazing. They're building everywhere. But the- everywhere. Yeah, it's just exploding, exploding. Even outside a rod, I see cranes. It's just crazy. Um, that's great. So what have you been doing to keep yourself busy? I was introduced to you because you are the the Roche, the head of a um, group that tours, that goes on trips throughout Israel. So you've been quite busy. You're not exactly living this Miami retirement life, feet up by the pool. No, we, you know, my husband and I are both not that kind of people. Um, we really, I mean, believe that the that there's no such thing as retirement. You change jobs in a sense. Um, you have different responsibilities, but there's you sh- you should always be doing and growing and learning and contributing. And we were very involved with our communities everywhere we lived. My husband, I think, was president of every shul we ever went to, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was involved in Hadassah, as I told you. Then now, when we came back here. Um, there, there's a lot going on in Beit Shemesh. There's so much every minute, you know, classes and, and learning and activities. It's just never ending. Um, but because of our not speaking that fluently, uh, Hebrew, we went to Ulpan again when we came back 
five days a week, five hours a day for five months. Mm. It was very intense. Um, and so when our Hebrew improved, but we're still not, you know, completely fluent. And it's so much easier to communicate in English. So there was a group here, a small group of senior English speaking religious people who the men and women who formed a social club. And a lot of seniors do move here to be near their children. Uh, children make Aliyah, and then all the grandchildren are living in Israel, and they eventually come and live here too. So we had this group, and when I came, the person who was the head of it had bad family problems, and she said she couldn't run the group anymore. And she asked me, so I took over the club, and um, we do, our senior group has two activities a month. One is that I give a history class on Jewish history. It's Jewish influence on world history. Okay. Most of the time when people study Jew Jewish history, they said they study as if it existed in a vacuum. Right. When you study Western history, you don't know there were any Jews there at all. The Jews were always important in every civilization they lived in, contributed and so on. Anyway. So I do that once a month, and then uh, we have an activity like a trip or uh, a dinner or a party or a speaker. Um, that's, you know, what our organization does. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are others. There, there are two other very active senior groups in Beit Shemesh as well. Plus, there are many, many things run by the Iriya. All right. So yeah, let's let's I want to I just slow down. You said there were 145,000 people there and you just mentioned three senior groups. I just want our listeners to get an understanding and, and me too. How big is your group? How many people are we talking about? Well, now my group has about 220 members in in the Ramape Chemish Olive. Um there's uh another English speaking group in a, that's in a different neighborhood of Beit Shemesh called Scheinfeld, that neighborhood has its um, senior group. And um, there's also Holocaust, there's 400 Holocaust survivors in Beit mm -hmm. Shemesh. And there are two senior clubs for them. Wow, it is a lot. When you say it the Iria, for our listeners, the Iria is a municipality. And Edith, Edie, sorry, Edie, has been working with them. And um, they also offer assistance and I guess programs, which is really great and, and really important because you do have a lot of activities and a lot of seniors. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that or, or how that is working? Because you tell me you have this limited Hebrew, but I know that you're, yeah, in every city, they're Israeli. They're Ethiopians, there are Russians, you know, there are all different kinds of groups. There's a French group, it's a very large French population now. There's a Spanish group from, from South America. Wow, that's great. Um, and so there's, there's all different language, there are people speaking all different languages here as their you know main language. And when seniors come, it's harder for them to learn a new language. I mean, they do, of course we do, but it takes more time to learn. So you need um, a social organization. A lot of times people come here, they're widows or widowers or divorced, and they, they need the social interaction yeah. uh, with other people. And it's easier in their own native language. Sure. So uh, the the government recognizes that. And so they have all these different services that they do. Some are actually have employees from the 
um, the city government uh, that run it. We're a volunteer organization. You know, we just put, you know, we just sort of grew out of this a synagogue here in town, but now we have members from all over, you know, Beit Shemesh, not just from our synagogue. So mm-hmm. A lot of English synagogues also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the area. How, how, how would it be to, to live there if you were not a religious person? Do, is there a place for someone who's a secular Jew? Well, that's a good question. Beit Shemesh is really basically a religious city, but they have everything. Let me ask you another question just about Beit Shemesh in general, because it sounds like an ideal place for an active senior to live. Do they have um, country clubs there? Is there a swimming pool? Do they have things like that? Well, they didn't for a very long time because the mayor of the city was Haredi and didn't believe in such things. But now we are. um, We're building a country club in this neighborhood called Mishkafayim. And in that that area is going to have an assisted living building, a hotel, office buildings, and a country club. And they're going to build a country club in Neve Shamir as well. I don't know where, but that's the plans. Uh-huh. Um, two, two places. At the moment, there are places, there is a, uh, a one swim club, which is, I think it's a private swim club called the Country Swim Club, uh, which you can join and you know has indoor swimming. And there's also nearby, there's um, um, Moshav's um, development development areas um, where they have swimming pools as well. And people have memberships. And there may be, you know, by car, maybe 10 minutes away. It's mm-hmm. not okay, okay. So they don't have it all in Beishemesh, but they will have it all. And, and these things really do change right in front of your eyes. I mean, I've, I'm sure since you've been there, you've been there since 2002. Is that is that what you told me? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you've seen some big changes. It's 20 years. Oh, yes, big changes. Yeah. And we're also, Rami Levy is now building us an entertainment area. And it's we don't have a movie theater. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Movie theater, it was in Modi'in, but now he's building, there'll be movie theaters and all sorts of entertainment things. We do have a bowling alley mm-hmm. and an amusement park. <laughs> it is unbelievable when you live in a place so developed where, you, where these certain little things they just don't have it's very funny but it, it also is a uh, letting all of our listeners know when you come to israel whatever stage whenever you come you will always and thank goodness you know you're going to see growth things do change and you actually oh, yeah. learn your own neighborhood i mean listen to the way Edie talks you you're, you're naming all these different neighborhoods all these different things you know it sounds like you've been there forever you see, you see the changes right in front of you. Yeah, there are changes all the time, and it's pretty fascinating. Um, it's it's not just Anglo's. Also, I just want to point that out. It is an Israeli city. It is an Israeli city. Let me repeat that. Okay, it is an Israeli city. However, there are these Anglo pockets. That's that's what it is. Everything here. That's what I'm trying to say. It's yeah. really a mix. But the those things were were going on all over the city. There there are people here from every, which is. I think that the best thing about coming, you know, the in-gathering is meeting Jews from all over the world. You talk about Anglos. Okay, well, we have Anglos who are from India because they speak English in India. We have um, Anglos from Australia and um, South Africa and England, of course. Not just Americans. In fact, we, you know, I think there are more South Africans here than there are Americans. It is for sure the in-gathering of the exiles, 
kibbutz galiot, they say. And right. when you do come to Israel, sometimes it's your first time in, in people's lives that they've met uh, Jews from other places. And they didn't realize, like, my God, there are Jews everywhere. And it's true. Absolutely. It is true. And you become very international here and worldly. And is, Israelis are worldly. So, I mean, we, we have only a few minutes left. I just want to get some advice from you. If people are listening who are in their retirement years or looking ahead for the next stage of their lives, would you recommend moving to Beit Shemesh? Yes, I would. For an English speaker, um, we have a lot of seniors here and we have wonderful activities. I mean, we have exercise classes. You name it, it's here. And there, as I you said, there's many organizations. There's even the Iria runs activities for the seniors. So there's all sorts of things. And also the Israel is very favorable to, to seniors. You get discounts on everything as a senior. In fact, if you're over 75, you don't pay for any public transportation. Mm -hmm. I now turn 75 and I intend to travel to Mount Hermon for free on mm -hmm. the bus. Right. right. Go anywhere you want, all right. over the country. And well, there are people, Edie, there are people who um, grow up in another country and they've never taken public transportation. So why don't you um, just uh, talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, you say yeah, that and I get it. Um, taking the bus, but there's some people who, who have never taken a bus. They only drive. You can drive around Israel as well. Israel is, you know, we're not that big. And there's a wonderful public transportation system. You can get everywhere on a bus. Right. And a lot of places have direct buses. There's a direct bus from Beit Shemesh to Sfat. You're, you're, you're leaving something out that I just put it. The people in other countries, I don't know, I know America, okay? People who take the public buses, these are not the people you want to invite to your house. The people oh. who take buses in Israel, these are your grandmother, your sister, your teacher. Normal Anybody. people use the bus. I, I want you to make that clear. It. My Yes, and my, my granddaughter, I have a granddaughter that's 17 now. She This summer, she traveled all over Israel with her friends on the bus. Right. It's not just your show. granddaughter. Everybody uses the bus here. Like I just okay. said, mothers, fathers, grandmothers, normal people with jobs, normal people with families, children, teenagers. Um, it's very safe here. It's very normal here. And it's uh, a normal way to travel. It's not like only the poor people use the bus. Not at all. No. Well, in fact, when I mentioned my granddaughter, it's like in America, I wouldn't let a 17-year-old travel all over the country on the bus by themselves. <laughs> right. would even think of such a thing. Right, right, right. The bus is it's different, and and, the, and Israel's different, and that's like reason enough to come here. It's just different. It's safer. It's um, it's, it's well, people also care about you. You know, when you come yeah. on the bus, people see an older person. They give up. They give them their seat. They help yeah. you with bundles if you. I mean, people just do that. Yeah, it, it really is is really wonderful life, and I'm glad you came and made the decision instead of giving up forever and not coming back to Israel. You made a plan and you stuck to it. I think that's pretty great. Yeah, well, we, you know, and, and it was it was better than we ever imagined it was going to be. You have everything here now. You know, you have the internet, you have uh, cell phones, great phone service all over the country. You you, you have everything you would you would have in America. There's, there's really, you don't need to bring anything. <laughs> right, right, 
Um, you said something earlier, it was very funny. You said uh, you knew people who came here back in the 80s and they couldn't go back to the States because they had lost their job skills. Today, it's reversed. I, I think Israel is on top um, so fast, so advanced. You you it's gain more. This constantly adds you know, also the 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 government the the absorption department helps people find jobs and they give you very good loans for almost nothing to start a business if you want to. There's so much support yeah. for everything yeah. here. Right. Seniors, I mean, when people say that you could live in Israel as a senior on your social security. Oh, by the way, social security is not taxed when you live abroad. So you don't pay any taxes on your social security. It goes directly from America into your Israeli bank and you have your support. I mean, you've two people, a husband and wife who both worked and have good social security. You have that income coming mm -hmm. in every month and you have free medical care and free free transportation or very little cost for transportation, even utilities are not that expensive. It, you think that, oh, it's so expensive here. It's not. All right. Thank you for coming and sharing your story. And I hope everyone listening learned something. I certainly did. If you have any questions, please reach out to me, Natalie at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And uh, Edie, we'd love to have you back. If any of you have questions about Beit Shemesh, particularly, please let me know, and I'll pass those questions on to Edie. She seems to be an expert on everything Beit Shemesh and everything senior Beit Shemesh. Um, you've been quite an inspiration, so informative. Thank you so much, and have a great week. Thank you.